Hello, we've been expecting you. I'd like to welcome you to Thoughts from Atwu, the Avatar podcast where we know the future. Today we're going to be discussing Book 1, Episode 4, The Warriors of Kyoshi. I'd like to introduce today's panel. We have Corey, Lindsay, and I'm Charles. Now here's our host, Mark. Thanks, Charles. Thank you for that intro. So yes, we are going to discuss... The Warriors of Kyoshi, a very special episode of The Last Airbender because we were introduced to both the previous, previous Avatar, Avatar Kyoshi, as well as the our lovely character known as Suki. Yay! So, as, yes, yes, Suki. <laughs> so as with um, all of these, let's uh, kick things off with our initial thoughts. So just throw things around. Charles, you did the intro, so... Why don't you give us your initial thoughts for uh, the Warriors of Kyoshi? Um, I, I honestly thought it was kind of a more filler episode than the ones we'd seen up until this point. Yeah, it builds the world and it talks a little bit more about history, but the tone and structuring of what they did with the episode was a little less... Um, it felt a little less serious than the other ones. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Lindsay. Um, so I kind of agree with Charles in the fact that I really, especially um, before watching all the whole rest of the series, I definitely thought this was more of a filler episode. I mean, it does kind of familiarize us with the past uh, Avatar of Kyoshi, and but I always kind of thought of it as okay, yeah, it just kind of shows. Aang being all childish, and oh look, he has a truck crush on Gatara, and oh look at Sokka, he's learning a lesson, kind of. But especially um, now that I know, especially the role that Suki will Suki will have, like I really appreciate it more. And I think also it's just a really great way of introducing some of those crazy Avatar animals that like you know you're going to see later on because um, we obviously had like the small penguins and everything, but now we have like that giant koi fish and you got like the weird dragon, the the thing that's in the water and it like kind of, yeah. And then, um, oh God, what was it? And then Zuko is riding the rhinos out like casual, but they're not like the rhinos we know. And it just kind of, we are like, what kind of animals are these? And it's, it's definitely a good way of kind of introducing the world of Avatar itself, like furthering that um, the world environment to the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Corey? Um, I really like the episode. Um, I disagree. I don't think it's more of a filler. I mean, yeah, it's more lighthearted and definitely probably the most lighthearted episode so far. But um, it introduces, you know, the Kyoshi Warriors and main characters that stick with the series all the way through. So it, it's I, not a filler in that aspect. Um, the tone I enjoy. I mean, Avatar can do the, the lighthearted stuff really well, just as well as they can do the serious stuff. And especially in the beginning, that was just all like lighthearted slapstick. And, and I also think this is an episode where uh, Sokka really gets to shine. So it's an episode I really do enjoy. It's one of the episodes that I liked just as much now as I did you know, back when I was younger. Yeah. So I think this is a very um, 
odd episode to rate because if you if you look at it, um, I think on one hand the Sokka plot throughout this episode, and in reality this is this is like Sokka's origin episode, you know, the sort of the start of of Sokka's arc, um, similar to how I, I really said that that Zuko's arc started last episode with um, the Agni Kai and all that. This episode really is this the real introduction to Sokka's character. I think they handled that excellently. I think knowing eventually who Sokka is going to become. His introduction and his arc is just so it's so satisfying to see him early on how he is like this bumbling kind of sexist kind of ridiculous guy who doesn't understand how a girl could beat him. But at the same time, you see the other side of him um, and sort of being willing to learn and that he is actually a really good fighter and stuff like that. So I think the way they handled Sokka in this episode was was phenomenal. Um, that being said, I didn't really like Aang in this episode, and we'll talk extensively about that as we go on. I just I felt it was very inconsistent with the rest of the show, um, and this is one of those things. Like the, my first time viewing this, I thought it was actually you know it was a fun kind of similar. I don't know filler so much, but like oh, it's a fun kind of relatively lighthearted episode um, with a really cool ending, but not that big a deal. But looking back now, it just seems Ang in this episode. I I just don't entirely understand what they were trying to do with him, and we'll we'll get into that more um, as we get into it. Um, so now we'll get into our episode discussion. Um, and just the first thing I have to say, uh, I, I know I've sort of similar things I've said a lot on this, but just Zuko meditating was just, it looks really cool. And I, I just mm-hmm. love how much they weave sort of bending into every, every kind of aspect of some of these people that we, you know, saw, you know, Zuko is sitting meditating and you can see the flames growing with his breath, which is mm-hmm. both giving us information about, you know, kind of similar to what Iroh had said in the first episode about power and firebending coming from the breath. But it just, it looks so cool. It looks so, you know, so different than than you would expect in terms of meditation. I just, I love, love that about the sort of, the way this show can can use things like that. Mm-hmm. Yep, and on top of that, I also like, the shows how spiritual the Fire Nation can still be, which is something that I don't think is very much appreciated just because of how militaristic they are. What do you mean by spiritual, though? I feel like it shows that you, you need, in order to be a, a master firebender, you need to be just as calm, collected, and in control as on the opposite side of the spectrum. I don't think, I, I, I really do think that in the beginning of Avatar The Last Firebender, the viewer is just supposed to view the Fire Nation as just antagonists, and just you put a blanket over the Fire Nation, and they're just evil dictator uh trying to take over the world and I feel like this gives you a first glimpse on how it's not like that they have a whole culture to them and history and you know it just happens to be a, a, a militaristic time I don't know I to be honest I don't I don't really agree with that um, I just think that to me that's much more of like I under, I kind of understand what you're getting at but I think that this is less of like oh the fire nation has culture and has as life so much as just firebending requires that you have focus and peace of mind and i think that there's no reason that an antagonist cannot be like meditating and clearing their mind i don't i think that that seems like that's not like, completely unheard of throughout other things i just i just think it's more like firebending yes firebending requires sort of peace of mind but i don't think that's so much oh they're not antagonists to some degree i think that actually makes them even worse in that you know it's the calm sort of studied villain that's more dangerous than the fiery one who's just you know screaming and to some extent we see that like azula is much more peace of mind than 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 zhao and azula is certainly much more dangerous yep 
Lindsay Corey. Anything you want to add on that? Me? I said, or Lindsay Charles. Sorry, Charles. <laughs> Um, no, I think you both bring up valid points, though, in that um, it definitely does show a side to the firebenders that we haven't really seen before. You know what I mean? Because, like, so, and also kind of just she even shows, like, the role that Uncle Arrow has, like, listen, like, I want you to stay calm and everything. He goes, Uncle, you've taught me all this. And, I mean, obviously, it does not go well, well but... but <laughs> But yeah, just how like they do try to emphasize like, listen, you do have to be balanced. You have to be calm and everything. And it kind of introduces you that whole idea that does go on throughout the series. All right. I think, yeah, it's fair. Yeah. Um, all right. So then, so then we get, we get the intro and or we get sort of the opening with, with the gang and, um, a, I think there's some just entertaining, um, Sokka sexism there with the, with the <laughs> Australian joke and then yeah. just how well instantly shut down Katara. Katara's just like yep well here are your pants wear them and it, it just it, it, it shows their dynamic really well which I, I just you know this, this, this show does so many things well that's one that, that's really great mm-hmm. um, but to me the much bigger takeaway um, as they're going into ride elephant koi is you know once again just seeing like how much Ang just does not care about going to the North Pole. Like, this is not a priority. Going around and riding fish—that's that's what's important. And I know, and I just think that that's like so important to like Ang's sort of development. That like he's just like yeah, there's a war going on. He's seen Zuko. He's seen what's been going on. It, it's not like it's completely out of the you know. It's not like it's totally oh no big deal. We can do whatever we want and. He's just like, nah, I'm going to go ride a fish. Yeah. Yep, and um, I think that's, especially in the beginning, in, the, in book one, um, that's just reoccurring. And again, that's why I think everyone says Aang was like almost too different this episode and like too goofy. I, I think he's the, just the right amount, especially for this early on. My, my problem with Aang is that it has nothing to do with his goofiness. I, I, I think the goofy Aang is completely fine. I actually like it. It's the other stuff that we'll get to later. Um, <laughs> yeah. And the other thing is I think this is this is another, like, you're getting to see him wanting to show off for, specifically in the beginning, showing off for Katara. Um, and we are we are certainly seeing it that he, like, he, he, does, he does want to show off for Katara a little bit. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, it makes sense for a 12-year-old. Um, and the first girl he's probably ever seen, essentially. Um, I also, yeah, Lindsay, also Lindsay brought up uh, the animals uh, when she was talking about the initial thoughts. And, I mean, God, the elephant koi looks so good. The, the inagi looks incredible. It just, it, it's so, like, this world has so much life to it and with these, with these combination animals. And I just really compliment them on and putting, like, a lot of work into designing these to some extent, animals that we don't see much. It's not like these elephant koi are like particularly well. You mm-hmm. really see them every episode. It's not like the unagi something yet yeah, comes back one more time. Uh, I don't even know. It doesn't even. I don't think the unagi even comes back. I think just the uh, we see a different an- animal later that's similar. And like, there's still so much like thought and um, and like art direction put into it. And I think that's just really, really, really good to see. Yeah, that was something that even when I was younger, I definitely appreciated the. Uh especially like the design of all these animals because they're just like they're so beautiful like beautifully designed and the colors and like the whole art style of the show itself is 
gorgeous, but then the, like, the careful consideration of the creatures that they create and just how they're able to come up with these really interesting creations because they are mm-hmm. familiar to us, but obviously we're not going to ever see a giant Unagi just swimming around, hopefully. But <laughs> Wow, it would make some good sushi. Yes, Unagi sushi. Yeah, the best. <laughs> Um, all right, so then, so then obviously Aang, uh, the, the rest of them, they, after alerting the Onagi, they get captured by the Kyoshi warriors, and I just, their initial, like, a, introduction with, with that, with them capturing the gang was, was really, I think, well done, like, you get just enough to see that they're, like, ba- you know, real badasses, but uh, still limited enough that it's not, you're not completely aware of what they can do, which I think is just good, in terms of, like, just an initial, um, introductions was good, and, yeah, Sokka with his, his that, that was that was an that was a first impression for the girl you're you're going to one day date. That was that's, the that's, best that's impression. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so then they're talking, uh, but a point I really want to want to hit on uh, hit in on is when the mayor of the town or mayor of Kiyoshi says mm-hmm. I was going to call him the mayor because I don't really know what else to call him, but the well, mayor of Kiyoshi, Mr. Says mayor. That, that Kiyoshi has stayed out of the war. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think that's just, like, it sort of asks this sort of interesting question about, like, how have they stayed out of the war? And are they completely independent from the Earth Kingdom? Are they completely their own state? Like, what exactly is their role? Um, and I know this isn't that big a deal throughout um, throughout this series, but in at the end of... The end of Korra is, is going, you know, gets into, like, the aftermath and sort of what what the earth kingdom government should look like and mm-hmm. i'm personally really intrigued by that and i think that this is just like a very a very interesting question about like what does the earth kingdom look like and is kiyoshi supposed to be some you know totally separate because when kiyoshi pulled the island away she was like declaring their independence or are they still cursory part of the earth kingdom i don't know it's just to me it's it's mm-hmm. really fascinating to look at the government sort of here and and how these kind of things work I'm sorry, I, you're forgetting the best part of the scene when they get captured. Is when Foaming mouth guy. Yes. I mean, oh, yes. It's probably the best part of the entire series. So. Well, I, I, do, I do have written down later, hello there, foaming mouth guy, who, who again, according to the creators, has dated Suki. And, just, so. and on top oh. of that, I, I <laughs> expand on it because it's my favorite scene in the entire show. I laughed very hard as a kid at that. Like, enough where like, I remember like actually having my like gut hurt. Hmm. Oh, I, I no, yeah. The the humor in this episode is is really spot on, and, and that's mm-hmm. that's that's one of them. I I also I mean I also always get a kick out of Aang doing the the Marvel trick as like yeah. he the proof that he's an Airbender is check this out, and he just like plays with some Marvels. I think it's very yeah, like, like of all things he funny, could do. Like, fit. It it fits really well with like what we know of Aang, and it contrasts so well when he just like leaps out, backflips, like obviously using all that Airbending, and then does the Marvel trick. It's just like so funny. Yep. I, I, I agree. Very good. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing is that we get with um, when we're seeing, because when Zuko finds out that uh, they're on Kyoshi, it's sort of like very clearly like information moving essentially through trade routes because it's sort of merchants moving stuff and eventually it gets onto the one who sells the fish to Zuko. And it's, again, it's sort of like, it does show that in some, there are some places where society is still functioning. Mm-hmm. Um because in many ways, like, we see the world of Avatar as, like, this kind of broken world by war that the war is sort of really limited things. And then we sometimes get to see some places where that's not really true. Like, we see within 
Bossing say, at least even if it's an illusion, that there's sort of this illusion that the war is, is okay. We kind of see it next episode in Omashu. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just interesting to see a little bit of like just basic normalcy of like a bunch of you know information throw, flowing through trade even though the world is kind of on the brink of collapse because of the Fire Nation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. It's also interesting, too, almost how um, almost how normal it seemed. Like, oh, yeah, did you hear? The Avatar's on Kyoshi Island. Like, just casually mentioning it to, like, the person that's buying fish from you. Like, it just seemed... That part did seem a little odd to me, that it wasn't a bit bigger of a hype. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, the other thing is it does it is does kind of beg the question of, like, are people... Does everyone know that Aang is back? I mean, I know that, obviously, the Fire Nation does when, you know, when he went into the temple and there's sort of, like, obviously, like, the higher, quote-unquote, higher-ups, you know, especially spiritually, probably know, but this kind of says, like, regular guy on the street kind of just knows and accepts that the Avatar is back, and it's sort of, like, you kind of ask the, have to ask the question of, like, does everyone just know now, or yeah. is there... Is it specifically Kyoshi because they're so connected to the Avatar? Like, I'm just, how does that work? Mm-hmm. Brings up a lot of questions. Yes. Asking lots of questions. About the, the, the lifeblood of the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So that, that wraps up pretty much, uh, well, like completely, that actually wraps up Act 1. Um, so let me move into Act 2. And this is where I'm going to start talking about what I found kind of off-putting about this episode is this episode is really the first time that we see Aang even remotely embracing his identity of the Avatar. And while I that is kind of interesting because of how much, to me, that is the entirety of this story, at least on Aang's side, it's very, it comes off in a very weird way. Like, there's no other time when Aang lets popularity go to his head. There's no other moment throughout this entire series, I think, where Aang acts in the same way as he does during this episode. And it's to me, feels really out of place. And I just don't really understand why they did it. And the only thing I can think of is this was purely he was, like, showing off for Katara and wanting to make Katara jealous. But it honestly felt like he was enjoying the notoriety. And then not a single moment again throughout this series does he seem to revel in being the Avatar. And... It just, it feels really weird and, and, and felt like there was just a lot of attempts to go for things comedically that were not there. I um, completely disagree with you on that. Okay. Um, I think, I think it's just, the writer, I feel like this was just a thing that the writers were doing to match the tone of the show. Aang, the entire time it was supposed to be funny and I think comedically it just looks funnier if Aang's soaking up the attention than you know if he was just playing it cool or it really didn't show any attention to it so i think it was for the tone's sake not more of like a a, a conscious choice that the writers decided to go on or I, I mean they did but again not for the reasons that i think you're looking at it at no no, no i i sorry i i agree with what you just said i think that that's true but i think that's a major problem i think that choosing if you're going to set up story beats basing it on what makes the episode the most like adds the most humor is not a good way to set up a story structure i think that at the end of the day you have these characters you have they have to be consistent and they have to do certain things and i just 
it's one thing if this was something that we we saw t- from time to time out of Aang, like every you know every once in a while it went to his head being the Avatar. But again, it, I I mean unless I'm missing something, I don't think there's another time throughout this entire series that he acts like he does in this series in this scene. Okay. And that's just I don't understand it. I, I don't understand why Aang acts like this. I have a idea and clearly like this is just like my own personal idea but i kind of take it as so obviously ang found out he was the avatar ran away got frozen for 100 years all that fun stuff and so now he's in the situation where he has to identify himself as the avatar and he's in a location too that like they love the avatar like it's kiyoshi island so like they're like hells yeah avatar is cool and so he's now put in a very positive environment in which he's like, yeah, you know, like, being the Avatar is cool. Like, these people, like, really like me. It's going to be awesome. But then even, like, later on in the, sh- in the episode especially, he, like, looks around when the Fire Nation's there. It's like, all, the- all this stuff happened because of me. Like, it- I kind of took that part as a way of kind of introducing him to, like, yeah, you're the Avatar. It, like this is going to get really serious and him kind of realizing like people knew that I was here and this is the repercussions of it. And I think that kind of leads him further into the series, like not being as like, hell's yeah, guys, look at me. I'm the avatar. Check me out. Like, I don't know. That's how I kind of took it. I, I understand it and I understand what you're saying. And and I guess kind of, but I just, a, I don't think that this was as emotionally, I don't think that this was some kind of like, emotionally that emotionally traumatizing of an experience for ang mm-hmm. um in terms of like yes he's upset about about bringing zuko there but it doesn't feel like this the the same level of like earth shattering to ang's like perspective as like say last episode when he found um when he found uh the dead bodies of all of his friends <laughs> yeah, when he found monkeyato's bones sorry and i just think that there's there are other times where Aang gets put in situations where, like, being the Avatar is a good thing, and it's mm-hmm. like, people love it. I mean, maybe not so much exactly this situation, but it's, yeah. it's not like that happens. And it's also not like the end of this snaps Aang into gear. I mean, we have an entire season before we're going to yeah. get to the North Pole, and, you know, the next episode, he's going to go ride around in carts because it's fun. Um and, like, I guess he doesn't technically reveal his identity there, but, like, mm-hmm. to, for the most part, like, I just, I don't know. I'm I'm just not, I'm not seeing anything in Aang's character outside of this episode that says I'm the type of person who would let fame and notoriety go to my head and mm-hmm. become something that I'm not. I, it just, that just isn't Aang at all. Mm-hmm. And I, it just, I, I agree with Corey. I, I feel like they just did it because it would be funny and... While humor is really important, and I love the humor in this show, I really do not like it when a when the the story structure becomes we're gonna do this just because it's funny, and not we're gonna do this because it has a purpose, and we're gonna make it funny regardless. No, yeah, I, I can understand Charlie, that. You want to add to that? Unless Lindsay over responds. No, I'm just I can understand that. Charles, anything yet? I mean, I may have interpreted this significantly differently. <laughs> Completely um, fine. <laughs> uh, so I lined it up more with the showing off her uh, Katara, especially uh, watching it the first time. But then 
like you brought up that he doesn't have the same reaction in other locations, right? Mm-hmm. You you know, there's a lot of people in the Earth Kingdom who, especially when you get deeper into the kingdom and closer to Bossing Say, that think, oh, he's the Avatar, he's someone really important, and we're happy that he's here. But it's not quite as... Um, the the people, the other people, not Aang, the other people aren't quite the same. I don't know how to describe it, except, like, when I see other people react that way towards Aang later in the series, it's always for, like, some other purpose. Like, oh, he can stop the war, we can use him as a super weapon, we can force the Avatar state and then just point him at the Fire Nation. Here, it's, like, mostly kids that are really enthusiastic around him. And that's not really something we see, or I could remember this very wrongly, mm-hmm. but I don't think we see a scene that's really similar to that until they're, like, deep in the Fire Nation in that one cave. And then he actually, actually yeah. kind of similarly mm-hmm. there. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'm going to say it's like, yeah, it's kind of inconsistent, but on the other hand, maybe it's just because he's not like comfortable interact or never became comfortable interacting with adults and for people that aren't just happy because mm. I don't know. Mm. No, that's that's I to be honest I've, ne- I've never I had never thought of it like that but that's that's that is an interest that is an interesting idea and I guess you do sometimes forget like that Aang is a child and and I guess you could argue yeah being like being just around other children does change his perspective a little bit. Corey, anything you want to Finish on before we move on. Nope. Okay. And I just, I just like just reading through my notes that that, that I have. <laughs> I just have written it like, how the fuck did he get Masuki? Like, like how did this happen? Oh, well, that's <laughs> the thing. I mean, I know, I mean, I know oh how, and I know later on things are a lot better. But like, but you know, my that, God, Sokka. That's, that's something I actually appreciate because it, it shows that relationships can just naturally cultivate mm-hmm. that's again it's like real life you know no I, I i agree i'm not like i'm not this is not a like question like an actual question like this is just like you just you i'm watching this scene and like him being like that condescending when he walks into the uh when he walks into the dojo and i'm just mm-hmm. like how how did that happen like <laughs> but i know how it, you know and, and i'm not again not a criticism just a just a, like, God damn it, God damn it, Sokka. A hypothetical. Uh, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, so the other thing I think that's really important is just, like, the amazing introduction of Suki's character. Yes. Um, and Suki. I've, yeah, and I've I've heard, and I, I mean, this is, I mean, obviously when you hear, read these things online or hear these things online, you you know, you have to be kind of careful with the validity of them. But I, I have heard that originally this was supposed to be a one episode, that Suki was not planned to come back. Mm-hmm. Um, for any, any kind of permanent role. Yeah. Um, and they just sort of, they liked her, so they decided to bring her back later on. But it's like, it's so incredible to me how well they introduced this character for, you know, w- within one episode, and she can come back a book and a half later, and yeah. you can instantly know who it is and be like, that girl's awesome. We need to have more of this. Mm-hmm. And I, I just, I really, really enjoy this, like how memorable she was um, right from the start. Yeah, definitely. Especially, like, I kind of mentioned, but in the beginning, I was kind of like, oh, man, like, this Suki girl, like, she's she's awesome. Like, 
oh, too bad I'll never see her again. And then later on, when she does show up later on in the series and you see her, you're like, yes, she's back. And you just like, it makes you so happy. And it's like, honestly, amazing how through the course of this one episode, we as viewers, like we, we got to like really appreciate her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, completely. Um, and then the other thing is in, in the, um, in the dojo, I love the fighting style of the Kyoshi Warriors. I think that it's, it's so interesting. It, A, it's the real first, like, non-bending fighting that we see outside of, like, Sokka, and, and Sokka's initial fighting, like, with Zuko was, was pretty bad. Um, and it just, it's, it's another moment where they just are adding character to this world, and I think that a lot of times worlds can suffer from, from, Bending, like bending, is obviously the really iconic thing of the world of Avatar, and I think it would be re- have been really easy to basically ignore non-bending completely and just sort of be like, oh, well, bending. This is what we're going to focus on, and everything else. But mm-hmm. no, like the amount of work that was clearly put into developing this unique style for the Kyoshi Warriors is like really apparent, and I love it. I, I absolutely love it. Not only that, I think it gives merit to non-benders too, because yeah. Like, in this world, you have to imagine, like, if you're a non-bender, obviously you're at a super disadvantage, but it shows that, like, if you cultivate stuff like this, a non-bender can go toe-to-toe with a bender. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Charles? I mean, uh, there are certainly shows out there <laughs> where um, they don't balance people with powers and people without powers well. I mean supernatural powers. Um, And yeah, this is the first example we have of it, but they only accumulate over time, Mm -hmm. especially way later on when uh, we see the rest of the Southern Water tribe. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, no, I'm really grateful they did that well too. I also thought it was really cool how their fans aren't just uh, like props, they're actual weapons. Yeah. Mm Because there's, in the world we live in, there's a fighting style that looks very similar, but the fans are just there for, like, decoration. You could use literally uh, any other objects or none at all. But for them, it's actually, like, legitimately the the fan tip is sharp, and the things are, the holders, I guess, are metal, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and even more than just, not just balancing of the fighting styles, like, like yeah, obviously it is it is important that non-betters can, can keep up. But also just the the effort that was put in. Like it's one thing if oh non-menders could keep fighting, but they just kind of all look generic. It's no, these guys have a ton of their own unique personality and style, and that just I think that that's the the amount of effort that went into this show is just is so apparent in every little bit that they did not say oh well we could just take a break in this episode. No, they like they put in so much. Yeah. Um, and then I really like um and then sort of like continuing on with 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 Sokka that you can see that like yeah Sokka may be a a sexist pig and you know (laughs) whatever but I do like that the moment like once he accepts that he's beaten he actually does have like a lot of humility and he's willing Mm -hmm. to like just kind of get down on his knees and say I need to learn and I think that that really like sets up really well for when he ends up meeting Piandao and and sort of that like really great scene where he's saying like I'm not sure I am worthy I'm mm-hmm. you know I have a lot to learn and that kind of thing and I, I I just I like that Sokka is not like this one note 
overconfident guy yeah. who, who's never going to learn. Like, no. Like, yeah, once he's overconfident, but once he's beaten, mm-hmm. he accepts this. And I and, – and, yeah. and eventually grows to be able to learn and understands what he needs to learn. Yeah, I always kind of took it as especially a good way of introducing him as having humility. You You know what I mean? Like being mm-hmm. able to accept defeat and being able to – Clearly, he's, like, very confident and very sure of himself a lot of the time. And you kind of think to yourself, okay, like, you got to calm down there. But especially in these types of moments where he says, I, I don't, like, you win and I admit defeat and I can learn from you. Like, that kind of humility especially introduces, like, a different side to him that you don't automatically assume that he does have necessarily. Yeah. Corey, anything on, on Sokka here? No, but mostly that I agree with everything you guys were saying. Sokka is someone that always is trying to better himself as a fighter, and you're, you're right, he, he does have humility, even though he does have, like, an ego. So he's, um, you could, again, you could tell why he's so likable despite him being sexist in this episode. It's because it's, that's not just all he is. Like, he just has so many redeeming qualities still that you can't just you know he's human he's just like a human being you know mm-hmm. yep character depth so so important character um, development woo. <laughs> um all right so also I, I i i do i love that they put Sokka in the kimono i i just it's so yes. like <laughs> it's so fitting in terms of a like obviously they know that it is a little bit embarrassing to him but at the same time it's also the traditional warrior's garb, and mm-hmm. there is something, like, really important about that. So it's, like, this great, interesting balance of, like, being able to both honor someone while also making fun of them. Um, <laughs> and I love that reaction. I'm just like, nice dress. And it, it just, that, that, was, that was great. Um, so, so then we have a little of this, this Katara and ang fighting over like ang's popularity and um i i don't know i really didn't like that as well it felt very i mean it felt very childish and i know like they are children so it's it's kind of whatever mm-hmm. you know it is what it is but i don't know it just it i did not particularly enjoy them there because it felt very like to be honest it felt very overt like oh we're gonna try and give them some like weird like they're fighting because they actually kind of love each other and it's like no we don't need that i don't i I just i didn't particularly like it Mm -hmm. it's too early for that again i i don't think that she should have any feelings towards him for a long time like again i I, again i completely understand ang but on on the flip side like this doesn't make sense for katara to have any feelings towards him yet it's way too early in my opinion yeah i don't know i like i said i just i didn't i didn't care for that I didn't care for that scene at all, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and then also, like, Katara gets over it, like, really fast. Like, she goes from, like, kind of yelling at him about going, you know, going there. And then relatively quickly, he's like, well, whatever. I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to, I actually know I'm completely over it. I'm going to go save you. And it's like, I don't mm-hmm. know. I, just, I didn't. Felt a little I, weird. I, I, I guess I think Corey basically said, I, I just think that there were a lot of this stuff was not narrative beats. These were humor beats. And mm-hmm. I don't think they served really any narrative purpose. At least one that I liked. Mm-hmm. Lynn, something you want to say? No, it just kind of, again, it felt kind of off 
Like, I, I can never really place my finger on it, but just something about it just seemed kind of like, okay, like, I know clearly he likes her, but, like, this is just getting a little weird or something. Like, I don't know. It just felt a little mm-hmm. off to me. Yep. Charles? Yeah. No, pretty much the same. It was mm-hmm. super forced, so it mm-hmm. um, it didn't mesh well, especially with the rest of the episode, like how, or rather, since we're just transitioning out of Sokka and his, like, oh, I'm, yeah, that he's humble and that he's willing to learn, it, it was just kind of jarring how odd, but. Yeah. Okay, so then, obviously, then we move, we move into, um, into Act 3, and Aang, uh, gets pulled underwater and and has to be saved. And I do I do like though that you sort of see the like beginnings of of Katara's healing powers. That you mm-hmm. know, she wasn't actually using straight healing, but she was just pulling water out of his lungs. But it was like it was just kind of really nice to see, and you know, kind of a a, a setup we're going to see quite a bit moving forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it felt really nice to me, like you know, just eventually looking at the show, being like, oh, yeah, there's you know, there's there's Katara, there's Katara's first like real healing, and I just that I really liked. Yeah, they don't establish though. I mean, I'm I'm mostly agreeing with you, but they don't establish though that water bending can actually be used to heal wounds. Like you can't use magical water to get like you know blood going mm-hmm. away and all that. I mean, it just makes sense that you could bend water out of someone's mouth. That's like still just regular water bending. So I don't really see like the magical healing elements of water yet. Oh no, it's it, I don't think it's the magical elements of uh, magical magical uh, healing of water. I just think it's more that. Like you can see that 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 I don't I didn't notice at the time, but looking back, like you can kind of just see even now that that Katara does kind of have that like instinctual ability, um, which which makes sense with eventually her like discovering her hearing powers and becoming like this incredibly good healer because she just instinctually is mm-hmm. good at, at recognizing what needs to be done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and it definitely shows even like amazing technique already in water bending like being able to just remove water from somebody's lungs like you know what i mean <laughs> like yep. so already like and i know what well, we've already said this but like every episode you definitely see already somehow like a development in her water bending style like it just kind of helps you identify it even more yeah okay so then we get to the 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 fight scene, and I this scene was just perfect. This scene was so unbelievably well done. Um, the music was great. The um, the dimming of the lights was perfect. Um, seeing the the Kyoshi warriors fighting with with sort of their stealth um, and, and and like this very their, their, that that unique unique style I was talking about earlier. It, it's just it's it's absolutely perfect. Um, I, I there's really nothing. There's nothing about it that I would change. I think it's it's, it's incredible. Um, and the other thing that's great about it is we see right from the start one of the big advantages that firebenders have in that they don't always have to win their individual fights because they can very easily burn a village down <laughs> without really any effort. And that's but that's like that's a really big deal. I mean, we talked. I mean, from like a world history perspective, I mean, one of the big reasons the Mongols were so successful yeah. is because. They had such a reputation for just destroying villages that mm-hmm. people would surrender and they wouldn't even have to use their own resources. And it's like really interesting. It's like it's when you're fighting a Fire Nation invasion, you're not just fighting individual firebenders. You're fighting 
against the entirety of your village being burned down, which is mm-hmm. like it makes sense that sort of giving them this sort of major, you know, kind of conquest advantage. Anyone, anything on this scene? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's true. Like in pretty much every country in world history, there's always some famous occurrence of fire usage to get a decisive advantage. And it's not like, I mean, arguably it's one of the elements we control best in the world we live in, but um, that aside, like, even in their world, right, there's earthbenders and there's waterbenders, but even then, your stru- your homes still tend to be made out of typically wood. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, we see this in, like, every country. Even the Fire Nation houses are mostly wooden. So, um, yeah, the ability to, like... Uh, burn down villages, ruin crops, do all of that. It makes it really hard for any individual village to fight back. Well, I think, and then maybe, I mean, like, yeah. oh, sorry, I was gonna, like, maybe if they're unified as a country, but as we see, none of, like, the individual nations are unified, other than the Fire Nation are unified here. Mm-hmm. Corey, go ahead. Well, I actually think in wartime, if we're talking about the Avatar universe, every element, maybe besides water, can be used in a destructive matter. Like, earthbenders can cause as much destruction in a village as a firebender, just because fire is more uncontrollable once it starts spreading. Um, I, I, I still see earth doing some heavy damage, and even airbending, if you have serious, like, airbending with, like, strong winds and stuff like that. So, I think saying that firebenders have the advantage when it comes to, like, pillaging is kind of not correct no but we mean yes earth and and, and earth water and and air can all do serious damage but the bit i think the bigger difference is that and i think to an extent it's it's the same as as we see eventually when jong jong says it that without the bender the rock will not throw itself that once you in a sense beat the earth benders you're you're dealing with you can you've essentially stopped this like you've stopped them but firebending like it's not that they can at some point decide oh i'm going to burn your village down it's that just the fire that naturally comes off of them could light a house on fire and then suddenly you're also worried about the house that's on fire and i think that it's like the same it's it's that you're worried about not just the bender but also the fire itself um Mm -hmm. and like yeah sure obviously all of all of these benders can can do like pretty incredible things and and can destroy villages you know relatively easy I just think there's something very symbolic about like the fire that catch it, you know, the roofs that catch on fire here that are very like it seems very unique to firebenders. Mm-hmm. Right. Fair enough. Right. Um, now another another part of this scene that I also also really love is when we get down to the fight between Ang and Zuko. Um, I love how different this fight is from the from their first fight back in episode two. Where in that first fight, they're in these like really small, closed quarters. Aang is, you know, kind of full, bo- you know, full circle walking, you know, staying behind him, spinning. Now they're in more open spaces. There's other people around, so it, it just completely changes the dynamic of the fight. And I love that it suddenly this fight looks completely different. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're gonna see this a lot. Like we see all of these different, like different fights, and I, I think they use like their environments and their circumstances really well for creating reasons for fights to look very different and to be really interesting. 
Yeah, definitely agree. It was um, really interesting to see the difference, especially of the different environments in which they do fight, because we already did see um, Aang, especially, we saw him on the ship, like, actually physically on it, using the elements around him of, like, the iceberg. So that, like, destroyed that ship right there. And then the fight that he had with Zuko in close quarters and seeing how he used the the room for that in that sense and that he was like literally like going on the walls and then like this then shows like another way in which they like do fight and i think it just like it kind of got me even more hyped up because i'm like okay guys it's like episode four so like there's already been a bunch of awesome fight scenes so let's like see what's gonna happen next (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah completely completely agree they're definitely really talented with uh creating the fight scenes and making it really engaging to watch as a viewer and like it gets you really excited and pumped mm-hmm. charles anything uh yeah i mean it was just really well done and the fact that they can i guess the writers know enough about the fighting styles bending their base off of to uh adapt it to so many different situations is really amazing and we'll see a lot more in the rest of the show Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. yep I um, completely agree. I mean, obviously, that's probably one of the strongest parts of Avatar is, again, obviously not... Again, and this is something I also love, too, going into the the beginning of Roots of the show. Sure, bending at this point of the show is super simple, but it doesn't mean it's not, like, extremely well choreographed and, like, they they make the most with the little, I think. Yeah. Um, and another another detail about this is with Aang picking up the fans, and I think that like there is a lot of like there is a, a large amount of significance to that. That like Aang is in fact Kyoshi reborn, although you know, albeit with with Roku in between. But there is something to this, like that these the, you know the, the an Avatar fighting with these fans was like once was like the thing that happened, and like we we get to see it again. And I like, mm-hmm. or not so much we, but like the world gets to see it again, which I think is just like really interesting and, and sort of like is one of those like weird things that comes about with with the reincarnation cycle but is kind of very cool um just cool to see mm-hmm. yep so then um so after that uh we just have the wrap up with um with ang realizing he needs to leave in order to keep the village from being destroyed mm-hmm. um and it is it is nice to get like one the one part of this of Aang's story in this that I did like was just a little bit of Aang, Aang sort of recognizing that it in some ways is his fault that this is happening. Yeah. Like he Kataro did warn him at the start that that it would be dangerous for them to stay here, and we um so and, and Aang kind of does recognize it recognize it, and I like that to some extent it's like Aang feeling some level of guilt, but it's also not like it is to some extent his fault, and I and. I, that I like um, because I, I, I think sometimes it's a little bit too easy for, for stories to sort of allow like allow a protagonist to be like oh well everything's just take the blame for everything or, or, or sort of that but in this case like it's much more realistic for Aang to be to feel guilty about this mm-hmm. and um, to see him like go out of his way to try and protect um, to save this village was really was really nice yeah and it can and- nice I'll call Lindsay it's fine um, I was going to say, and it kind of goes back to the whole point I was making before about how, for me, I saw it as part of, like, the development of him kind of realizing, like, this is, 
a repercussion of being the avatar like it's this is gonna happen wherever i go really like me going wherever and like announcing my presence and everything like it can put people in danger and i think it kind of like helps him maybe obviously not fully because like you mentioned before we have a full season of him like gallivanting off whatever but i do think it definitely is um it's eye-opening for him It, it does kind of bring the situation more to light yeah. Corey, go ahead. And I was going to say, it, it, uh, it just contrasts with the beginning at Aang of most of the beginning of the episode, too, which is why I really do. You know, like I know you, you complain about him being like so uh, uh, into being the Avatar and embracing it all. Now he's showing that it's, he's to be punished for being the Avatar because now that it's out there, he puts everyone in danger. So I think the contrast makes it really work, which is why I didn't really mind the beginning that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I I, li- I like him in the end. I like the ending, but I just I don't know. I I, I have my issues with with the with his execution kind of in the middle to an extent. Mm-hmm. Charles, anything on that? Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you all said. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's I guess, and it's the side that we see of Aang most the um the weight of the burden on his shoulders it's like this is the first we see of it and it only grows over time it serves to both develop him as a character uh i guess emotionally and just in terms of how he treats other people around him but yeah yeah and then of course we end with uh Sokka getting his Getting his first little kiss on the cheek, which, you know, I I, I really love Sokka and Suki. I I, re- I really enjoy them. Um, things that things that may or may not happen in the comics, notwithstanding. But I um I really I just think that they have like a really interesting relationship, and I think that they they play off of each other really well, um, which is just is just really good. Um, and we'll talk about that more once we get to book two and we get to see them a little bit more earnestly together. But I, re- I just I really like Suki's introduction and I really like the introduction between Sokka and Suki um, here. Okay, so we will now go into our ratings for this episode um, and I guess kick things off. Lindsay, why don't you uh, start rating this episode? Okay, so I'm just going to read that summary that I sent you a while back. Yes. Um, okay. Yep. I really liked getting to see some development in Sokka and, of course, his interaction with uh, Suki. I can't wait to see her come back later on because she's just such a badass and I just want her back already because I love her. Uh, Getting to see Kyoshi Island was also really interesting, especially in seeing how they they try really hard to stay removed from the war. And then also how you mentioned, like, it brings up some good points about, like, how removed are they already? Like, what's the dynamic like? It's also, this episode is a great way for Aang to realize the impact that he has being the Avatar. And especially this experience of seeing how the Fire Nation will literally destroy anything to get to him. It's definitely um, an experience that kind of like opens his eyes to that. Uh, getting to see some more of the Avatar world animals was also really cool. This episode is a good way of showing more of the world these characters are living in. And oh my gosh, Katara and her waterbending are coming along great. From avoiding the Yonagi to literally taking the water out of Aang, it shows a great progression with her waterbending. So, um, overall, I gave this episode an 8. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Um, Corey. Um, once again, I did end up loving this episode. Um, it's, in my opinion, definitely slightly above average of other Avatar episodes, though it's definitely not, you know, one of my favorites. It stands very high in my books in book one. So overall, I'd say this episode is a seven. Okay. And Charles. Uh, honestly, had, <laughs> had, um... We only had the start of this episode, then the er, the start of this episode from Zuko to when they get captured, then the Sokka part in the middle, and then the raid of the village. I'd probably rate this episode way higher, but uh, maybe it was just when I was rewatching it, the middle section kind of dragged on for me, and it got kind of annoying. So. But that doesn't take away from the strong points the episode had. Uh, like every, like you said, it serves to develop Sokka's character more. Uh, Suki's introduced, and I mean, just although I felt it was, I mean, I I, th- I said this at the beginning. I felt it was more filler than the other episodes we had so far. But um, still, I I, th- I thought it was good overall. I'd probably give it an about an 8, 8.1 maybe. Um, I think I'm going to echo basically what Charles uh, just said. I I think that the... I, I love Sokka's development of the episode. I love Suki. I love, absolutely love the fight at the end. Um, and I think that if it was just for that, this episode would probably be up in like one of the really, really high tiers. Um, like well over a 9. Um, mm-hmm. Unfortunately... I don't particularly enjoy the Yang stuff in this episode, and I think that that, that really does hamper it. Um, overall, though, I think that it is still a good episode. I think that I'm kind of just willing to, I'm just kind of willing to accept the middle of it and sort of say, it, at the end of the day, it was entertaining, it was funny, um, and that is fine. Um, you know, if you're going to have kind of relatively narrative, unsatisfying stuff, at least make it funny, and they did make it funny. Um, and I love, there are just some parts of the episode that I, that I really genuinely love. So I'm giving it an 8.1, which is interesting that I feel like on one hand, I'm kind of was the most negative, And yet I also feel like I just gave it the highest rating, which is kind of just an interesting <laughs> tidbit. But like, I, I, I will say this just in general about like personally, like my rating style, like I, I will talk relatively negatively about something and then say I ended up really liking it. I'm like I am just someone who will will, will diagnose and sort of look at the flaws because they're easy to talk about. Mm-hmm. But um, at the end of the day, this was enjoyable. So that's going to wrap up this episode. Um, I apologize for the delay between episodes. We had uh, some scheduling issues as well as the election. So real life uh, got in the way. Be, yes. So we should be <laughs> back with with uh, with an episode um, once again each week. Um, there might be some extra episodes thrown in there, so if you see uh, if you see the next episode out earlier than typical, then uh, look for that. Um, but that should be good. Um, so we're going to close for thoughts from Mount Blue. Um, anyone want to say anything uh, before we leave? Mm-hmm. Guess not. Nah. So you can follow us on Twitter. Thought uh, thoughts. Um, it's in the description. I, I, I don't like saying that loud. <laughs> You can follow us on Twitter in the description. Um, and it's it's Aunt Blue underscore Pod is the is the Twitter handle, but it's weird. 
But you, you see in the description, you can uh, follow us on Twitter, ask us questions, and if we do get questions, we will we will answer them, um, and that should be good. Um, I will talk to you guys later. Bye.